0: It's Friday and the dice are screaming, coming right at ya.
1: That's
0: right. It's me, Randy, and Mike. Right, and we're here for another rousing round of the dice are screaming. Oh, indeed. And it's after uh, Thanksgiving. Oh. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the uh, post Thanksgiving waddle. Uh. <laughs> but we made our way to the we made our way to the table anyway. We didn't let that stop us. No, oh, waddled oh. on in. Oh, oh. Oh, uh, good time uh, yeah. family, food, friends uh, and you, pie you cannot complain about these things a these, lot of pie uh, That is a worthy occasion any holiday is a great thing when you, you love the people around you
0: yep, and we hope you spend some time with it and have some games coming up this weekend or soon we certainly do And uh, if you don't, well, hey, hang out with us. We're going to talk about gaming stuff. So yeah, I got a full plate of games and a full. uh, I had a lot of full plates of food, Uh,
2: so it's it's been a great uh, holiday, and here we got a great weekend in front of us.
0: Really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, long weekend relief. Black Friday didn't kill any of us, so (laughs) or we didn't. More importantly, we didn't kill anyone. I hid. I'll wait till the crazy people are done. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: and just do Cyber Monday.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, take advantage of those specials, get some game and loot. Hopefully uh, get yourself stocked up for uh, Christmas for all your game and lists on your buddies and your friends and your family on it. Not to break topic,
2: but uh, I did something of the same myself. Steam had a wonderful sale going, and so I, I went retro. Uh, got my hands on Steam's version of Neverwinter Nights, which I must say runs much smoother than the original. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah. All the bugs worked out, the billions oh, of bugs.
2: Oh, my God. They must have sprayed because yeah. no, the bugs are now few and far between.
0: Reminds me of launch day for World of Warcraft. Anyway,
1: <clears throat>
0: on to other things. We yes. got some call ins from Colin Green from Spike Pit. If you're not listening to Spike Pit, well, you should. But, uh,. Colin is going to take us back to the Dwarves podcast we did recently. Yes. So we're going to turn it over to Colin. Take it away. We'll be back after the break.
1: Hi, guys. Colin, Spike Pit. Really enjoyed your episode on Dwarves. However, the subject of axes, I'd like to elaborate on a little bit. I've thought about the link with axes and Dwarves quite often. And um, whilst they are a a no-messing melee weapon I also think of them as a very useful utility tool you can do a lot of stuff with an axe and obviously there's a huge variety of different types I don't think they're super well represented in traditional role playing Um, their emphasis on being a weapon is not super accurate historically I don't think It's uh, chiefly a craftsman's tool, or woodsman's tool, or frontiersman for that matter. And your life often depends on it. Look to your axe for building shelters, gathering and building fires, keeping yourself warm, cooking. Basically for kind of um, processing wood in all its various forms. More famously, Vikings would use their axes not just for battle. Primarily, they they were shipbuilding tools, and then I think I'm right in saying the axe, the battle axe, developed from that. Uh, so a super useful tool. If you're going dungeoneering, don't be trying to chop down doors with a sword because that's not going to happen. But an axe could easily be an effective tool, and then you know this throwing axe you don't need to have a throwing axe to throw it. I've thrown working axes, so double-bitted felling axes can be thrown, and it's a a thing in Sweden. So there you go. That's my bit on axes. Um, Love them or hate them. You need them.
0: All right. Thank you for that, Holland. And great points, by the way, because I just really, as
2: I was listening, I thought that is a note that I wish I had struck during the actual session that... uh, the link between dwarves and industriousness, the, the weapons that they are often uh, that often accompany images of dwarves are all things that are not merely weapons but also tools of industry.
0: Yep, yeah, the axe, the hammer, and the crossbow are all symbols of the dwarves, industriousness and commitment to engineering, to building, and of course to warfare. Which they lend equally well to all sorts of those.
2: Yeah, it doesn't matter what it is.
0: Dwarves get things done. That's right. So it's important to know that, well, yes, the axe is a brute force weapon, and it's very useful for cutting down doors and chopping down wood. It's also good at chopping down goblins and your foes. <laughs> and that's... Oh, we really wanted to make about that, but it is also a commitment weapon.
2: Yeah, it makes makes me want to do a whole session about, like, a you know, specific
0: branch of weapons sometime. Oh, you know? yeah, that's something to consider. Yeah. So, uh, we got some topics tonight, and uh, I guess you've been in stitches waiting for that, since we've been rambling on about Thanksgiving and axes and all kinds of beardy people. No. Oh.
2: Yeah, but, like, right after a holiday, I mean, song is festive. You know, we we could do an episode about bards, because,
0: yeah, yeah, there's a lot of songs and festivities, but uh, I think what we need to do is cast our sights on something a little bit bigger. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? You're on to something, though, because there is a lot to go on, on that thought of festiveness. And uh, in the spirit of festivity we can also talk about one of the things that we celebrate in gaming, which is the diversity of gaming uh, genres, and also the types of gaming that is done. And one of those that often gets overlooked is the espionage, modern espionage to be more succinct. Ah, okay. Well, no bards in that.
2: But, uh, hey, there's certainly a goodly bit of acting.
0: Oh, yes. And that, you can take something from that, Also a good style of fashion. Oh, hey, you would that I could rock a tuxedo
2: the way I used to.
0: Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, also a little bit of intrigue and deception. Now, now I'm on comfortable ground. Okay. Uh, So we'll talk about the modern espionage as a gaming genre. It gets overlooked a lot because, well, quite frankly, it's not as popular as, you know, chopping up orcs and casting fireballs. No,
2: I, it's not in keeping with the most familiar genres of role-playing games. But it was there back in those early days, too. So it, I, I guess it does deserve an equal nod, because if you go back to the original, uh, the dawn of gaming, hmm. uh, where it was just really exploding late 70s, early 80s, and it went from being tiny niche to, holy crap, it's everywhere! There you found that those first awesome
0: spy games. Yep, and Top Secret was... I don't know if it was actually the very first, but it is probably the most popular of those first games. And Top Secret, that original box set with the coins, passports, and the Bretta, and <laughs> also the chick with the legs, and we'll never know whom she is. Although, reportedly worked for TSR or... Was one of the Gygax gals, we don't know. However, we do think uh, the use of all those Krugerons and rare coins and also francs and British pound notes on the cover there.
2: <laughs> oh, it was a classic. It was a beautiful addition. Uh, but since so many people were just getting their feet wet with D&D, uh to a great degree, people had not really cemented, like, this is the only thing I play ever. You know, that was not the, that that was a more uncommon thing uh, at that time. Today, uh, people have had a very long time to carve out a groove where they're comfortable. And so you see people really very happy in one lane, and that Was a little bit less the case when everything was brand spanking new, and you get your copy of Dragon uh, or White Dwarf, and you would find these ads for these other games out there. Like, Mm -hmm. wow, there's more than this, and it was a very exciting time. I really enjoyed it, and out came Top Secret.
0: Yep, and Top Secret basically took the party premise that you were from different bureaus inside the organization. And the organization was left nebulous because, you know, the genre was wide open. You know, you had your man from Uncle. You had, of course, James Bond with uh, 007 and MI6.
2: Oh, yeah. And Avengers, if you're yep, part Avengers, of the 60s British spy stuff, which there was a ton of that. It, it was everywhere just like a decade or so before gaming really took off. It was a huge part of the subculture. Yeah, and the
0: super spy was a little fantastical. It had actually what happened in James Bond and other fanciful spy stories really didn't resemble spy work because it's just really boring.
2: Yeah, I mean, honestly, if your day goes well as a spy, nobody gets shot. Uh, Nobody even knows that you're spying, and the whole thing was super quiet. Like, it might have actually just involved one conversation with one dude, and you got some information, and then you go report that. That that would be your whole day, so that's not exactly the stuff of epic legends you you don't really want to have a game based on that,
0: yeah, but you had your uh different organizations inside the bureau, the assassination, the confiscation, wet works intelligence, yep, and so you created a little cast of uh characters and went from your various bureaus and you got your assignments and you went into kind of. Really kind of above ground dungeons that were more like cities or occasionally complexes where the evil mastermind was at the center of it and you made your way through.
2: <laughs> the volcano layer is set to blow at yep. any moment. <laughs> uh.
0: But, you know, a lot of good modules. Operation Rapid Strike was a fun one. Desert Island with, uh, you know, a uh, evil mastermind making its, their own form of LSD, which was a mind control
2: <laughs> or God forbid, uh, get smart style. Like, yep. Look out! He spilt the nude bomb. Oh no! Not the <laughs> nude
0: bomb. Uh. <laughs> Embarrassment <No>. of britches.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So you had, you did have a tongue in cheek kind of approach to it too. Or, of course, Doctor Evil. Uh huh.
2: Not evil enough. You're the tab of evil. Just one calorie. Uh, You don't need diet evil. You need full evil.
0: Yeah, and those uh, little marks of the genre, those little water marks there, were always present in humor like in Austin Powers as we're homaging right now. But... Less so back in the day, but still there was a hint of humor in everything.
2: Oh yeah, there was a little tongue-in-cheek even in the beloved James Bond series, and it became more obvious, less tongue-in-cheek and more in-your-face uh, as time moved on. And Yeah. Some of us cringe at the late 70s, early 80s Bond films that were so over-the-top that they were not especially spy-like, but more like a work of science fiction. But... Worth mentioning, as silly as they may be, they translate to role-playing way
0: better. Oh, yeah. well, uh, you, you always ended up with an exotic locale, a hidden base, or going into a strange new environment, like, you know, most parts of Europe for some uh, Midwestern kids, you know. Yeah, true. Liechtenstein yeah. sounds pretty remote <laughs> and far away when you're living in the wilds of southwest lower Michigan. Or better still, Belgium.
2: because who doesn't want to just say Belgium
0: (laughs) right and so you know while these sound exotic to the parochial ears that we had it was still exciting and it was just as much fun to do a couple one-off sessions or a small campaign with Mercenary spies and private eyes—that was another one that was uh, quite popular. Oh um, A lot I of fun with that one. We basically, used more or less the tunnels and troll system, but still, I had the James Bond
2: 007 game. Ah, uh, yep. Whose dice I still use. Uh, the percentiles uh, from that were particularly high quality, and to this day they remain unmarred after well a good 30 years of play. Yep. So kudos to that.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank Colonel, Colonel Zucchi. Yep. But in one of the things that was always in the genre was the super spy. You know, one guy inserted in and he could do it all. Well, you had to break it down for a little bit more of a party aspect. And even in the James Bond game, you know, he didn't do it alone. He always had help. Yeah. And so they divided
2: responsibility neatly uh, to try to encourage people to specialize in key things that would make them all useful. Uh, now, this doesn't necessarily break down like, you know, Fighter Magic user, Thief Cleric, uh, but it did break down like, you know, the security systems expert, who is the yep. wire cutter and break-in artist, uh, and then, you know, the person who does the explosives and actual safe cracking, like, you know, with using a the thermal lance to cut through, you know, a foot of steel. Uh, and then, of course, the... The actual, like... uh, Paramilitary operations Yeah. The the butt kicker of the group. And, you know, a wheel man. Ah. Or wheel woman. You you just had this diversity of skills set up so that it would at least be a good role play experience for four people instead of just
0: one. Right. And, you know, of course, the other thing is is that in place of magic items, you had super advanced items like... L-O-Q. Yep. A watch as a radio whoa that just fucking blows your mind doesn't it
2: oh i know that's just uh, i mean we're talking crazy talk here uh you know a, a wrist communicator that uh actually has a video feed where you look at the other guy's face uh, this oh this unheard yeah. of technology yeah uh, what are we in outer space oh well, they'll yeah. never have that that's just made up oh yeah well <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. next thing you're talking flying cars oh. i wish <laughs> Yeah, I, I gotta I gotta add on a side note. This is I'm gonna digress for a moment here Uh-oh. on purpose. Uh, it is sometimes like living in an age of wonders because the things that you saw in cartoons and comic books have become the technology that people take for granted today. And when I saw a wristwatch that did basically face to face screen time communications via satellite link. I just sat there thinking about old Dick Tracy comic books, and I was floored. I was like, we finally did it. You know, it took the entirety of my life up till now, but we finally got a wristwatch communicator with face to face screen time. And that was a happy moment. I'm like, yes, technology marches on. But to finish digressing and and get back to point, uh, gadgetry. Randy nails it on this. Gadgetry is a huge part of the fun. Uh, yeah,
0: whether it's an x-ray device that you can see through a wall for a safe to aid you in cracking a very complex uh, lock. These were all things that were given to you for a one-use part of your mission. Two-way communication devices that allowed video feed or transmission in highly secure areas. You know, even though small things like that proved invaluable. I mean, literally you could split up the group a little bit more and have different operations going on at the same time. And also, the other thing was, is that it did capture the espionage, is that if you pulled off your mission correctly, nobody got shot. And that did happen a couple times with Top Secret, where mine equals blown. Wait. It worked! Yeah, it worked. We eluded all the guards, we kept undercover, we didn't go crazy and start shooting everything. <laughs> I am archerizing this plan! You do
2: not get to be a verb! Deal with it, Lana. I'm a burp now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you didn't, you know, you you snuck on the multi-international billionaire playboy who had (laughs) nefarious ties to a secret of criminal organizations yacht and you stole the plans out of there and he never knew it. Well, good (laughs) on you.
2: Yep, you're a guest at a party at an embassy and, you know, you managed to uh, boondoggle somebody so that someone can get into the... Very specific desk with the exact documents that you really, really want. And somebody's got to go out there and be suave and debonair and draw all the attention uh, at the precise moment that the break-in is taking place. Sometimes it all goes fine. Other times,
0: <sighs> I hereby declare this a black op. Yep. No
2: <laughs> witnesses.
0: <laughs> you shot the waitstaff in the face. You double-tapped them. <laughs> I wanted to be sh- thorough. I, what... You know, it's, it's good spy crap. Yeah, right? well, when you do say Black Ops, it does mean Black Ops. <laughs> and, you know, more <coughs> to the point that it had a different tension to it. Like, the Mike, ten- they,
2: they didn't mean let work wet work in the literal sense. Uh, you didn't actually have to wade through rivers of blood. Like Then I seriously misunderstood the concept. So <laughs> you missed that briefing, didn't you? I miss all the briefings.
0: Oh, yeah. it's really out for coffee and donuts, so my process
2: is more holistic.
0: And yeah, it was heightened by the Cold War, but the tension that uh, was going on was not only framed by some of the real world politics, but also by the fanciful imaginations of criminal, sinister organizations above you all, like Hydra or Spectre. Yeah, these are classic examples.
2: Uh, that <laughs> they're all drawn from the same pool, right? out of. You'll see a lot of that in cartoons that came out of that late 70s, early 80s time period. And they're homaging the stuff that came out of movies and books from mm-hmm. about a decade before that.
0: Yeah, it was popular culture, and it was a... Well, let's face it, it was pulpy. And, you know, oh, it, there's, it's hard to put, you know... Ascribe to it a deep sense of the difference, say, between James Bond's novels and the movie, but also a difference, say, between John Le uh novels, the Born Identity novels, and, say, a more direct action thriller spy thing like, oh, Commando. Oh. Like. <laughs> you know, yeah. where he just goes and kills everybody and says, you know, cheap one liners as he. Uh. Which I live for those. blow off some steam, you know. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, after impaling a guy on a steam pipe. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Uh, terrible, terrible puns. Uh, but, you know, remaking those in your own image during a game is always a priceless one. Yeah, but
0: that shows sense. the depth of the, the genre itself. So you could yeah. go super serious spy with very carefully planned out meticulous plans that had to be adhered to by moment by moment. And that adds its own tension to ones where it was just all-out combat. And it, both were viable. There was no right or wrong about it. And that's the kind of creative process that, you know, when you were doing these kind of games, they were wide open. There was no scripted way to play it. There was no, like, this is right and this is wrong.
2: Yeah, you know, If you DM- wanted to
0: go up against the KGB, you could. <laughs> and if you wanted to go, you know, be the CIA versus the KGB, but it was better or, maybe to have Uncle versus, you know, Spectre. Or,
2: you know, uh, narco-terrorists, uh, you know, which it, it, I will say this of all of these genre games uh, in espionage, it is a tougher burden on the DM to arrange circumstances for highly dramatic moments. If you've got skilled players who really know their abilities sometimes it's very hard to get those classic moments to come to life. Because yeah. you can't, you know, just, okay, uh, unless the episode begins with, <laughs> you're tied up over a pit of lava. Sharks with laser. Do you expect me to confess? No, I expect you to die. Yeah, the extrapolation moment. moment. It's really hard to get a moment like that out of player characters who are really adept. So... Uh, You've got to restrain your impulses.
0: And that was more letting the dice roll where they may. If they were all successful on their stealth and guile rolls, hey, you know, they got through it. They could bluff the guards, even bribe them if it came down to it, instead of just fighting them. There was a large variety, and it did offer a little different style of play. But even between the genres and the differences in between them, say, like Tinker. Taylor, soldier, spy. Oh, good example. And uh, Goldfinger or Thunderball, you know, which were did end up on the movie screens much different than the novels. But if you read a few of the Ian Fleming books, you would understand that.
2: Or better still, you get your team of competent uh, professionals working on behalf of their government to stop a lone individual. You could remake Day of the Jackal. Which yes, is the, the original. That. Not, not that I am dissing. Bruce Willis. The Bruce Willis version, because I thought it was very good. But, while that was an entertaining movie, the original first Day of the Jackal uh, was a masterpiece. It was a terrific John Forsyth.
0: uh, Yeah. Um, But yeah, if you read the early Bond uh, Fleming novels, they're a lot different than the movies, but uh, still more or less the same things going on. Just... You know, for the movies, you got to bring an A-game. You just can't keep it low-key. And they wanted to, you know, big budgets, flashy aspects, and scantily clad women. Well, you know. Fabulous cars. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, my gosh. The fabulous cars. I, don't even get me started. It's a... <laughs> just... Yeah, screw Archer and his hatred for the Lotus. Come on, man. It's the <laughs> freaking Lotus. I mean... Yeah, but I digress. Yeah, so, you know, it was always put in a spectacular fashion, and sometimes the espionage role-playing game genre just didn't live up to that, because, well, not every episode or game you play can be like an episode out of James Bond. So you had to tailor your expectations accordingly. And even with the James Bond role-playing game, you know, you could play good old Bond. One player would get that honor, but also he had... People backing him up, even if it occasionally was cute.
2: Yeah, he's got support personnel uh, waiting in the wings. So they developed the game to be less monocentric. Yes. Which was a necessity if you're expecting a table full of players. And like, well, this was a game for like a DM and one person. That didn't really work. So they they did a bang up job, I think. I really think they did this terrific job of micro specializing. Talents, not
0: not every person had every single pool of talent. Uh, Well, James Bond was uh, pretty much a badass with uh, martial arts and weapons. And he knew his way around the human psyche pretty well. So he was good at guiling and bluffing people. But technological items, he was a little lost at times. Not that he was stupid or anything like that. He tried to keep up, but it just wasn't his forte. And he needed people who were much better at helping with that. And so they capture in the game. But more like Top Secret, when you start out, you want to put, I want to be like James Bond. Well, you're going to have to dial back your expectations a little bit. So you're
2: James Bond level one. Yeah. Confiscation Bureau. So
0: now what you've got is an accent and an attitude. So. Yep. You might start off in the Confiscation Bureau. You might start off in the Assassination Bureau. Or, you know, the Intelligence part. But no matter where you were from, y'all were trained as spies, so you kind of went into that all on the same page.
2: Oh, Oh, and it's a wonder piece for the DM. It's just what, it's a terrific game to DM, because, well, all right, maybe if you're an American DM. I don't know how it would be done in England, because uh, over here, uh, British is the accent of evil. So, you know, we just, very high-handed tone of voice, and... So, we're also loosely conversant with some amazing British actors who played bad guys. And so we're stuck on that. You know, that that notion is firmly entrenched. So it must be really strange on the other side of the pond. Uh, You know, what do they do for evil? I mean, do they just, like, sound American? Yeah, I don't know. Are are there a lot of American bad guys? You know, like, just total scumbags? Well, look at Kingsmen. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Ah, which, again, a great movie with plenty of inspiration for over-the-top play. Yep. Uh, I am going to shift gears a little bit, though, and go, there is a more recent release in the spy genre so that people don't have to hunt down these archaic games. Uh,
0: Spycraft. Yeah, Spycraft was uh, AEG, and it kind of took the uh, Die 20 system, and very heavily invested in the multi-classing. But um, very nicely done game. Um, very much, even though it was a 3.0 or a 3.0. Uh, yeah, they did come up with a 3.5, but it wasn't as good as the 3.0, in my opinion. But I digress.
2: The gist of it, they really did a fine job making multiple eras and genres possible. Yeah, like you the, could
0: play in the 50s and 60s, the height of the Cold War. You, you could, could play in the 70s, of the, you know, the depths of the darkest part the coldest part of the Cold War, and all the way into the modern eras of narco-terrorism and international uh, industrial espionage.
2: Oh, yeah. They did a bang-up job allowing you to move from era to era as you saw fit uh, as a DM. If If that's the era your campaign is going to be in, so be it. Let yeah, the chips fall where they may.
0: They were much better than Top <clears> Secret <throat> because here, like, if you were from the Assassination Bureau and the confiscation Bureau, you know what your difference was? How you got your experience points. <laughs> That's it. There was no special abilities from coming from the Assassination Bureau. No. Now, in this one, you know, you had classes where you had a soldier, and you could specialize into a sniper or a marksman sort of person, and, you know, to a you know, a full a complement commando, to a wheelman, to a fixer, to the face. Yeah. They were all viable classes and every you know, you could mix min-max and mix mix and match as well as min-max, I should say, to your heart's content to make the perfect character you wanted to play in a spy genre.
2: Not to mention, they followed through on the original concept of dividing the labor. Yeah. In such a way that a party mentality can still be adapted into this genre. So They were staying true to the roots of early uh, espionage RPGs because it's no fun when you're just, you know, one person is the star. Uh And I I know that that's not true for every player. You know, there are players out there who are just really dependent on the big fix and being at the front and center. But party dynamic has to be thought of by DMs. You know, how do other people enjoy the game? How do they... How do they participate? And that's something for... uh, Really, every DM has to weigh that. So having a game that lends itself well to a cooperative effort is a huge perk.
0: And, you know, as we've talked about the style of play, we're going to spend a little time talking about how to DM it. And we'll say DM, but we'll uh, actually mean Game Master. And the instructions to a Game Master... For say an espionage oh, game, it's are, still the M. You're the Danger Master. Oh, the Danger Master, you're right. I just I've,
2: I've invented that on the spot. I, where's my copyright team? Holy Run crap! Off, go get it.
0: Um, but it's pretty much still similar. Yes, designing a map is one is still fine and dandy. You're going to need that for hideouts and exotic locales and specific areas of a mission. And you're still going to need some traps because where would the espionage Genre B without its dangerous traps—from electrified floors to—it's oh, filled with sharks with laser beams what? <laughs> instead of some ill-tempered barracuda. Angry sea bass. Yes, angry sea bass. <laughs> yeah, they cut in the budget here. It's just barracudas. It's not sharks. Oh, but barracudas leave a painful bite. You know, oh. I hear skin divers in Florida fear more than some of the sharks out there. Really? Yes. So, I mean could we at least put lasers on the Barracuda? You might. Okay. But that might bite into too much of the evil budget. (laughs) But yeah, so you had to design traps, and you had to have opposition. traps
2: mean something different in this. So adjudication-wise, for a DM doing this, instead of uh, the traditional, you know, familiar pit traps and spikes and Mm -hmm. darts popping out and stuff like that, now you go with, there are rotating shifts of guards, each of whom is carrying a freaking Uzi, and you set off one motion sensor without having neutralized it first, and several of these guys are going to be after you like bloodhounds.
0: Yep, and you're going to be having to run a lot of rounds of combat. Now, here comes the delicate balance.
2: Uh, As a DM, although I hate... To give this completely away, you really should, uh, don't be the perfect engineer, okay? Don't, don't eliminate the exhaust port from the Death Star design, okay? There's got to be a way for the player characters to accomplish their goal, and you can make it hard to find and difficult to reach. But there should be something there built specifically by you for the purposes of their getting in. Sometimes they have
0: to learn it through intelligence gathering, perhaps a little bit of guile or bribery.
2: Yeah, like, uh, you know, the top floor of the office complex is where uh, the information is hidden on a secure hard drive uh, with no link to the internet. You know, there is no hard line to this one. So you've got to get somebody in there. So... You compromise a staff member. You know, just dirty pool galore. Yep. Uh, looks like Bob from the IT department has been uh, gambling a lot lately.
0: Yep. Trap. <laughs> also, the honey trap. But oh, another yes. good one that comes out of this genre that rarely gets played in others is the vehicle chase. Oh. Rather than just the foot chase. You know, yeah, you can have foot chases through dungeons or towns and dungeon Dragons, but. In you know, my
2: heart, right now, Steve McQueen is tearing through the streets of San Francisco
0: in Bullet, right? But car chase, yeah, the car chase, motorboats, even you know aircraft, all right, helicopters yeah. and other things, and then salt it with exotic locales, islands, um, are always a good one. But also, all expense paid trip to Aruba. Oh, oh and people
2: will be trying to kill you. Oh. So. <laughs> There's an upside and a downside to everything in
0: this biz. Huh. <laughs> yep, even a remote Antarctic base, or if you get real fanciful, a moon base. Oh, uh, yes. I can live out my fantasies as a space shuttle door gunner in the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, 0812, space shuttle door gunner. Yeah, totally sounded my name on that one.
2: <laughs> no, I... uh. I look back on these games with great affection. Uh, it was another one that I I look back and they made for much different sessions than traditional dungeoneering. And DMing was even more challenging. It, it just it brought you to a different place mentally. You had to draw from different sources. Uh, you can only read Lord of the Rings and plug so much of that into uh, very specific types of role-playing. You yeah. had to go further afield to get ideas for this
0: yeah so it did encourage our reading it widened a little bit of our vocabulary as well as you know you had to look over some technical manuals you know guns and ammo. you know was at the library oh yeah time. and
2: there's plenty of film noir out there Yeah. with shady contacts peter Ori. come with
0: me mr spade yeah there you go now you're hitting the, the notes Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the library video back in the early 80s, going through and finding spy films. And even though we didn't play a whole lot of Top Secret, it was more like a one-off thing where not everybody could get together. We still played it. And, you know, being prepared for those times meant watching some different movies. And as we just talked about John Forsyth's book, The Day of the Jackal, that was uh, rung to the screen. That was a heck of a film to watch. It was a little slow at first, and sometimes a little long in the tooth, but man, did the tension build.
2: Yeah, it was done with no musical score
0: uh, yeah,
2: to speak of. No, yeah. no relevant musical scoring. Many of the scenes were like done in almost a- total silence. You know, just, it's a monofocus on a person singularly devoted to moving towards their goal, and that is the assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Then it would break off to the team becoming aware that something is afoot and slowly trying to close the net uh, without creating mass And also
0: getting a feel for the man who was responsible for this.
2: You know, methodical, you know, getting the measure of them so that you can figure out what they're going
0: to do next. It was a fascinating uh, movie to watch and then later the book. But hey, you know what? Uh, Grab a a copy if you can. I don't know if it's on Netflix, but I do know that uh, I've been able to find it on um, Turner Classic Movies as well as um, on some of the uh, Play on Demand features on Comcast. So I don't know if that's available everywhere. but
2: But I brought up Spycraft because, for those of you out there who really... You know, can't shill out uh, a pile for an old Top Secret or James Bond 007 game. Uh, Spycraft is out there, and it is somewhat more
0: reasonably priced. Yeah, I I think Mercenary, Spies, and Private Eyes is still uh, published by Flying Buffalo. Still in... Blade uh, Publishing, yeah. I think they still offer that. But, yeah,
2: give it a shot. Don't be strangers to it. Uh, It's a nice change of pace, and it really gets your party on their toes. They really have to think a different way. Yeah, and you as a DM
0: also have to do a different... Uh, way of thinking, but you know, you'll find that after a while, that becomes old hat and second nature to you, and a lot of those uh, skills that you learned as a Dungeon Master apply to you as a Danger Master.
2: Yes, as a Danger Master, TM. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's always great to have your uh, villain concept ironed out in advance. Uh.
0: And his henchmen, and also a bunch of mindless minions.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's like... Numberless minions, but uh, to have at least one interesting henchperson yep. that is, you know...
0: Yeah, odd job. I mean, come on, serious. Or uh,
2: Jaws, Uh-huh. Or the, the guy with the metal teeth. You know, just come up with your own concepts and throw them in there. You know, like a guy with a almost like a proto-bionic hand. That yeah. Just, <clears throat> it's you know, breaking stuff left and right. He's not just crushing beer cans with this. Uh, but you can do anything you want uh, when and you're the DM and when you're the players, theoretically, but uh, uh, there are consequences for
0: everything. Oh, well, speaking of consequences, hey, we are getting along on time, so we're going to leave it off with have fun doing the spy game and playing the great game if you can, or if you get uh group players together and you want something to do, you know, find some rules and uh, whatever pleases you at the time. Make it a fun one and uh, always remember that Spycraft or the top secret game, they're still available for a pretty uh, decent price most of the time. So have fun with it and make sure that when you make it, make it well and you will find that you have a nice refreshing change of pace. As well as maybe some people fond of it and wanting to come back again and again. So with that, we thank you for sticking with us because we wandered far afield but we hope you enjoyed the little trip. And now that we bring you back to the Shire Frodo. <laughs> yes. It's time for us to sign off. So we'll see you Tuesday. And may, may the dice, dice always, always roll in your favor.
2: favor. We're, We're up. See ya.